Hello and welcome to the Resilient Sessions. Alongside our weekly episodes, we wanted to give listeners the chance to hear the full story of our veterans. This is Josh's story. 16 years old, did okay at school, did all right in my exams, but I left school not really knowing what I was going to do in my life. I hadn't made a choice in life. My first real choice in life, I sort of fell into. I, uh, I ended up going to college and doing what every other normal 16-year-old boy does when he leaves school. I went to college and I did hairdressing. I'd fallen into it because I was working as a Saturday boy in a barber's. I hadn't really made a choice in my life. My first real adult choice came when my family decided to move from Berkshire, where we were living, to Lowestoft. Now, on a map, it's only about 180 miles from Berkshire to Lowestoft. But to me, they might as well have been moving to Australia. There was no way I was going. I had to make a choice. The choice I made was to follow in my dad's footsteps. At 17 years old, I joined the British Army. Joined the Royal Engineers, and I went away and I did three months basic training. It was amazing. It instilled discipline into me, and it was the best decision I'd made at that point in my life. I did my combat engineer training, which was another three months, where I learned to blow stuff up for a living. It was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. I was 18 years old. I had a great income and I had a career in front of me. While I was doing my combat engineer training, my instructor at the time was different from everyone else. He had a different colour berry on his head. It was maroon. It was maroon because he was a paratrooper. To me, he stood out in a crowd. If he was in front of everyone else, he seemed like seven foot tall. It was just like, I need to be this guy. So I found out what I needed to do and it was something called P Company, which stands for Pegasus Company, which is classed as the hardest endurance course in the British Army. It was four weeks of pre-parrot and then four weeks on P Company. And it was eight weeks of literally being thrashed within an inch of my life. It was brilliant, but amazing at the same time. When I found out I passed at the end, it was the best feeling I'd had at that point in my life. I got a maroon berry, I got a set of parachute wings on my arm, and I got to jump out of an airplane for my, for my job. It was amazing. I deployed on my first operational tour in 2006. I went to a country called Afghanistan. I was just turning 19. And it was an amazing experience. I was going to be away from home for six months. An operational tour back then was six months long. It was the best and worst experience of my life. It was the best experience of my life because it's what I'd been paid to do. I was away with my mates doing a job that I absolutely loved. It was the worst because while I was out there, I found out that in a place called Sanget in Helmand, um, a lad called Luke, who was a year above me in my, at school, had died. Luke had been hit by a mortar. A mortar is a bomb that's fired down a big tube. It will shoot up in the air about six kilometers away and land and explode like a grenade would. Luke got hit by one of them. The doctors managed to keep Luke alive between six and eight hours on the ground. But what they couldn't do was get a helicopter to fly in, pick him up and fly into a hospital. By the time they did get a helicopter in and get him out, Luke had died, unfortunately. I came home from that tour in 2006. And I decided to stay in the army and we redeployed back to Afghanistan in 2008. This time I was a Lance Corporal. I've been promoted and I was the second in command of a, a section of men, an eight-man section. Did that tour, came home. And then 10 days after my little boy Jensen was born, I redeployed to Afghanistan in 2010. I was, I'd just been selected for Corporal, so promoted again. And I was going out to be a, 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 a 2IC in a search team section. A search team in Afghanistan looked for all the bombs in the ground, the improvised explosive devices, homemade bombs. On New Year's Eve 2010, we were going out on a dawn patrol from our patrol base. There's about 20 Irish Guard infantry soldiers going out and, about, and a section of us, engineers, eight of us. 
our job was to walk a mile down the road, take over a compound, leave the Irish guards in there. They would fight the Taliban, so the local village would just get on with what it was doing. We were going out before first light, so it was still dark as we were all mounting up at the back gate, getting ready. You're all putting your helmets on. You're all putting your night vision goggles on, making sure they're working, checking your radios, magazining your weapon, cocking it to put around in the chamber, cocking your pistol, checking over all your mates, and we were walking out the back gate in single file. We're walking in single file because a guy at the front of the patrol has got a metal detector, and he's literally looking at the ground in front of him, searching from side to side to side. All he is focusing on is the ground in front of him because he's looking for IEDs, homemade bombs. Behind him, there's a guy with a rifle looking after him. And he's got a tin of spray paint and he's spraying white lines on the floor, marking a safe lane for us all to walk. We're about five metres behind each other and we're walking in a straight line down a road. When I say a road, don't imagine a road like in, in the UK, like a tarmac concrete road. Imagine just a dust track with nice little culverts going off either side and then walls either side of that. When I say walls, I mean compound walls in Afghanistan. They're about a metre wide and about nine foot tall. They're made of mud, straw, dirt, whatever they can find out there. As we're walking down the road, in the distance, I can see mountains and the sun, just, light is just coming over the mountains. And where it's starting to warm up, there's like dew coming off the ground, like mist when it goes from cold to warm. In the distance, I can hear a dog barking as well. In, in Afghanistan, they don't have burglar alarms. They just have big dogs in their compounds that give away the game when you're about. And also in the distance, I can hear the call to prayer, calling the village to the mosque to, to go for their morning prayers. It was a really eerie morning. I don't know why, but something just didn't seem right to me that day. About 10 minutes into the patrol and about 100 metres in front of me, there was a massive bang, followed by a big dust cloud coming out of the ground big black dust cloud it just smelled of death i knew what happened straight away the guy at the front of the patrol had stepped on an ied he'd lost both his legs and his left arm the medics were on him straight away and we knew what we had to do straight away we had to clear a helicopter landing site remember i said about luke they couldn't get a helicopter in for seven for eight hours for him at this point in afghanistan they had something called the golden hour if they got to you and got you back to the hospital within an hour you had a 94 percent chance of survival so timing was of the essence we kicked into action straight away cleared the helicopter landing site put the the, the guy who was injured got put on the back and the helicopter took off and it was gone cool he's safe we've got him out little did i know though that half an hour after that helicopter took off i'd be lying in the ditch on the side of the road having lost both my legs and my right arm I was blown up off the road into a ditch. I was lying there and at first I didn't know what had happened. I, I didn't think it was me. I couldn't see from the dust. My ears were ringing. I felt like someone had punched me in the kidneys. I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't breathe properly. And I didn't know what was going on. I was trying to get up, trying to find out. I knew something had happened. I didn't know what. It wasn't until my two best friends jumped in the ditch and started putting tourniquets on my legs that I realised it was me that had been injured. Now, a tourniquet is the last line of defence in a catastrophic bleed. If you lose a limb and sever an artery, you lose a, a litre of blood per minute. They had to get this blood under control straight away. So tourniquets, literally imagine taking your belt off your trousers, putting it around someone's leg, pulling it tight as you can and stopping that bleed. From there, I had other friends jump all over me. I didn't have a clue what was going on. You'll be shocked to hear that I was in no pain whatsoever. About 20 minutes after it happened, I heard that sound of the Chinook, the helicopter with the two rotor blades, and hear it from miles away. And the minute I heard that, I knew I was going to be all right. 
I remember it flying in, it flew over the top of me. I remember looking at the belly of the Chinook because it landed behind me. I got put on the back and I was off the hospital. On the Chinook, I got put in an induced coma. I just remember a big needle coming out, going in my chest and gone. I was put in a coma for a week. I was back in the hospital within 47 minutes of being blown up and then back in the UK within a 24 hours of that. I spent a week in intensive care and they were some deep, dark days. I didn't have a clue what was going on because of drugs in my system. At one point, I thought I was on the Millennium Falcon fighting Jedis with lightsabers. I was in a deep, dark place. The lowest of the low came, though, a week or so later when they came out of intensive care and went onto the normal ward in Birmingham. I went to try and go to the toilet. And as I was on the toilet, I managed to try and stand up having no legs. And I fell off the toilet, smashed both my legs, opened the ball back up, and I was in a bad place. I managed to pull some boxes on and pull the orange cord and begged for some help. I've never felt so low in my life. After the six months in hospital, I went to a place called Headley Court, the Defence Medical Rehab Centre in Epsom, near um, in Surrey. And when I got there, my eyes were open to everything. I had that sort of eureka moment that a guy walked past my room in a set of prosthetic legs, and it was just like a robot to me. He was like an angel. I was like, I need to be that guy. I called him back. He came into my room, sat and spoke to me, taught me through all the legs and how they worked. And it was that moment then I went, right. My legs are gone. My arms gone. There's nothing I can do about it. I have to accept they've gone and I need to move on in my life. It's a hard decision and it took me a long time to make, but I made it. And the minute I made that decision, my life turned on its head. I then started to learn how to walk. When I, within two weeks of being at Headley Court, I was four foot nine again. I was, a, I was on my stumps with a little set of sockets on that made you walk around like an oompa loompa. It was, um, it was just amazing to be stood up again. Then two weeks after that, they made me a little bit taller. Another two weeks after that, I was back up to six foot. I wasn't back up to six foot. They put me to six foot and I fell over, so they brought me down to 5'11". So I'm an inch shorter than I used to be. But Headley Court was the best possible place I could have gone to then. There are literally guys there who are all in the same situation as you. You all work together and you all push yourself to, to get better. I did about two years or so going back and forth to Headley Court and just sort of enjoying life, getting used to being back into society, being a normal human being again being a dad, going out with, with, with fiancé at the time, now wife, um, and just being normal, fitting society, sorting your house out, learning to drive, doing all these normal things, enjoying yourself, happy to be alive. Until two or, years, or two or so years after being injured, I looked in the mirror one day and I, I looked at myself and I'd gone from this fit paratrooper to this big mess. I needed to make a choice and I needed something back in my life to challenge me. And this is where I found hand cycling. So for those of you who don't know what hand cycling is, it's basically a bike that's really low on the road, two wheels at back, one at the front, and you pedal it with your arms. And it's, it, it, it's hard work to ride. I mean, I signed up to do a charity bike ride from Paris to London, and I did it, and I was the first triple amputee to ride from Paris to London on a hand bike. It was, uh, it was hard. But from there, I got the bug. I started riding and racing in the UK. I got the chance to represent my country at the Invictus Games twice and I got to win five medals for my country. It was an amazing experience. I loved it. Just that, that thrill of winning again. It just, oh, I love it. But the best thing to happen to me on a bike by far was in 2017, I was part of a, a team that challenged, that took on the race across America, a coast-to-coast race from one side of America to another. In a distance of over 3,100 miles and over 180,000 feet of climbing between the eight of us on the team, 
there were 14 arms and nine legs. And our job on that was to ride across America as quickly as we can against the clock and absolutely smash a record that had been set two years before. We did it. It was an amazing achievement. I talked about working in sections in the army. It's the only thing I miss. And this was it again. Eight of us working together to get across America as quickly as we can. When we finished it, it was just the biggest sense of achievement in the end. I, I loved it. Came back from America, though, and I found myself at sort of a bit of a crossroads. I'd spent five years riding this bike and everything else had been put on hold. My family, job offers, other opportunities to go and do really good stuff. And I found myself not resenting my bike, but I fell in love with love of it a bit. I need to go and try something else. So I sort of put it in the garage for a bit and I, I found myself, I've gone back to work now. And now get the amazing opportunity to come and speak to guys like yourselves all over the country and all over the world. I absolutely love it, telling my story and showing that no matter what happens in life, you can get through it. I also now go all over the world helping train medics in combat injuries. So I go and get blown up again for a living. I absolutely love it. I get to squirt fake blood at people and hear them flapping and, and, and screaming when they're not quite sure what to do. But it's an amazing experience. I also... I'm going to let you in a secret here. I'm terrified of the ocean. Absolutely terrified of the ocean. Ever since I was a kid, I watched Jaws. I've always thought that when I go down there, if I can't touch the bottom, I'm going to get attacked by a shark. So I have to overcome this fear. In Just after I got back from America, I decided to go scuba diving whilst I was on my honeymoon. And it was an amazing experience. The minute I got my head underwater, got buoyant, there was no sound. Nothing hurt. There were fish everywhere. It was absolutely amazing. I fell in love with it straight away. From there, I've done my open water course, my advanced open water course, and last year I became the first triple amputee rescue diver in the world. So if anything went down, went went wrong under the, uh, down there, I can go and help out. I absolutely love diving, but like I said, I had to overcome this fear of sharks. So in July last year, I was out in Egypt on a shark diving expedition with no cage. I was down at 30 meters with my dive buddy being circled by hammerhead sharks. It was an amazing experience. Again, brilliant and scary at the same time, but the adrenaline rush, I had to take myself out of my comfort zone and put myself in that situation. I go back to the bike. I'm still riding it. I love riding it. I'll never not love riding it, but I'm not doing it as much as I used to. But by giving it up, like I said, it's got, given me the opportunity to speak to guys and girls like yourselves. I hope you've enjoyed my story. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Josh's story, which we've released as part of the Resilient Session series. We're back next week with another full episode where Stu and I chat to inspiring Blesma veterans and a specially invited guest. See you then.